If you miss the train I'm on, then you know that I have gone. You can hear the whistle blow a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles. You can hear the whistle blow a hundred miles. Lord, I am one, Lord, I'm two, Lord, I'm three, Lord, I'm four, Lord, I'm five hundred miles away from home, away from home, away from home, away from home, away from home. Lord, I'm five hundred miles away from home. All right, all you junkies and cinephiles it's time for the sls cast with your hosts matt and tim and welcome one and all to episode 256 of the sls cast yes ladies and gentlemen this is the nfl regular season episode of the sls cast because it turns out that the total number all in for regular season football games in the NFL, 256. Yes, if you add up all the teams and the times that they play and everything, turns out it's 256 games. Whew, that's a lot of football, folks. And with that wonderful little bit of NFL knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. And Matthew, we are now in the month of December. It feels like December because the Christmas lights are up, the Christmas tree is up in the living room, and I am here drinking myself a bottle of Firestone Walker 805. Shit, I've grabbed the wrong fucking beer. <laughs> I, I, I've been drinking. Um, I was trying to be festive, and I grab a freaking Firestone 805, which is a good beer, but I did get a six-pack of Sam Adams Christmas Lager. Ooh. Was that a good ooh or was that a... Yeah, I was just a, just a, just ooh. Oh, okay. And so, like, I never really bought it before, but I thought, it's fresh. It's the beginning of the month. I bought the first six-pack of it mid-November. It was delicious. Freshly bottled or right on the tap. The winter whatever lager Sam Adams is very good. I was hoping... I'm, I'm bummed now. This might ruin the show for me. Oh, no. Oh, well. There's still time. There's still time. There, we we have at least two more weeks for Christmas stuff, so the holiday season can kick in. Tis the season of miracles, right? So, yeah. As far as things are going, I have finally finished school, and uh, I'm just going to keep you all in suspense as to how I did. 
because I feel like it. That's that that's uh that's what's up. Other than that, not not a whole hell of a lot going on. Yeah. How's your dog doing? I mean, you mentioned you mentioned your dog last week and that might have been the first time you've mentioned your dog in a while. He is good. He is damn near 70 pounds of puppy. Hopefully he's done growing cuz he's about filled up his kennel and it's a 4-foot kennel. I I can't afford another kennel. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got he's got to stay you know so that he can have his little kennel uh not that it really matters all that much he's only ever really in his kennel just to sleep at night but um yeah. still I want him to be comfortable you know he's he's my hound dog and I want to make sure he's comfortable he's a very beautiful dog how does your backyard look I don't know it's got grass in it it's got a tree well, I mean, I mean, like, usually if you have a dog, so depending on the dog, sometimes they tear up your backyard. Oh, no, no. So I, we, I didn't know we, if, we don't, if Luther... No, we, the, if you keep your dog mentally stimulated and physically exercised, then you don't have to worry very much about your yard. And we do those things. And if yes. And if we have been lax for some reason and we see that he does go to, like, you know go to dig or something like that then we get on him we stop him and then we just hang out with him for the rest of that day no seriously we'll we'll take him out back and then make sure he does his business and then we bring him back inside and then we start making sure to augment extra toys and stuff like that so that he stays happy okay and so everything you just said mm -hmm. pretend you're not talking about a dog but talking about a, a penis and a vagina so a woman telling another woman, like, oh, if if it tries to get in your yard, stimulate it. Keep it stimulated. Play with it. Give it some toys. That's when he busts Augment out the toys. It toys. Yeah, oh, okay. That's hilarious. Well, wow. Yeah, Merry Christmas to us. Yeah. All right. Well, we all know what's going to be in Matt's stocking this year. <laughs> Headmaster 2000 or whatever it was. The head honcho. Head honcho. That's what 95. it was. All right. Well, let's see. How about we go ahead and just get right into the nitty gritty? What do you say, sir? Yeah. Are we going to bypass the mail? <laughs> no, damn it. No. I want them feeling so terrible for us this Christmas season that they're going to flood us with mail for Christmas. That's what I want. I want them to need to send us email. I want them to cry themselves to sleep hearing those terrible band-aid songs in their head do they know it's christmas that's right only instead it's do they know it's email time at all that's what they're gonna hear in their heads and then they're just going to go dear god send the fucking sls cast a goddamn email and then we'll not have to worry about it anymore. But until then... Check that mail sack. Check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. Oh, no! We suck again! My ears are bleeding. Yes, I know. The, the ears are again. bleeding. The ears are bleeding. Please send us an email to the show <laughs> at slscast.com. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter... We would like for you to do that as well by following us at the SLS cast. So without further ado, though, how about we do some news? What do you say? Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's the news. Hey. 
first and only up from me, all the way from TheGuardian.com, by way of Steve Rose. From Ex Machina to Moonlight, how A24 disrupted Hollywood. Yes, can the U.S. indie distributor become the new Miramax or Weinstein Company? All right, this is a really short op-ed, and so I'm just going to go ahead and read it in its totality, because I think it's pretty cool, and, you know, I'd like to hear what you have to think about it. Steve writes, It is not often that you notice logos at the beginning of movies, but one in particular is becoming unavoidable, especially if you've gone to the cinema looking for something a bit edgy and grown up, but not old-fashioned. If you're a fan of those sorts of films, then the sliding, retro-minimalist, white-on-black logo of A24 Films is probably etched onto your subconscious. You can currently see it before The Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Florida Project, and Good Time, and soon on The Disaster Artist, James Franco's buzzed-about tribute to bad movie titan Tommy Wiseau. When it comes to the biggest movies of recent times, commercially speaking, A24s are way down the list. But as for the movies people will remember in 20 years' time, this indie company seems to be cornering the market. Its past releases include two of this year's most refreshing horror movies, A Ghost Story and It Comes at Night, plus Ex Machina, Under the Skin, Amy, Room, American Honey, and last year's Oscar winner, Moonlight, the first picture it produced as well as distributed. It's sure to figure in this year's awards race, too. While the Hollywood majors have abandoned the mature mid-budget space in favor of megabucks spectacle, over the past five years, A24 has set about filling the vacuum. In some respects, the company is anti-Hollywood. If you look at how it scuzzed up Robert Pattinson in Good Time, for example. Founded by three young New York producers, David Fenkel, John Hodges, and Daniel Katz, it's closer to Miramax or the Weinstein Company, except without a grotesque sexual predator as a CEO. And with Harvey's downfall, there's certainly room for new blood. Like Miramax, A24 also knows how to play the publicity game. For Ex Machina, for example, it created a Tinder profile for Alicia Vikander's android character, while Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers benefited from a Last Supper pastiche with James Franco's character as, quote, Thug Jesus, end quote. Both went viral doing the pictures marketing for them. Not everything it touches turns to gold, though. A24 has put out some real stinkers, including Gus Van Sant's The Sea of Trees and Kevin Smith's Tusk. But as well as a willingness to gamble, it has shown you can get results by putting faith in both filmmakers, who praise A24 for simply leaving them the hell alone, and audiences, some of whom still enjoy being challenged and surprised. The future of cinema belongs to those who believe in it. So, that is the article, and again, I thought that was a pretty interesting article. I agree basically wholeheartedly with this article, and curious, Tim, what do you feel about the advent of A24? It's cool. I mean, we've seen this before. Um, Not necessarily in person I've seen this before, but it happened in the 60s and the 70s, the Bob Roffelson movies, the, the movies that changed cinema, that made cinema exciting and fun again, w- with like Easy Rider and The Graduate and, and all that stuff. But like Easy Rider and what you wouldn't consider to be studio films. So it was a matter of time that this was going to happen again. Companies like this have happened, uh, come and go. I mean, you look at 
focus features. You would go see a focus features movie and expect it to be something a little bit different than what you would be used to seeing under a large studio banner. But then you also have other companies that even distribute lesser budget films. Oscilloscope, for example. Uh, And there's a few others out there. So I'm glad. I think A24 is a great company. They do make great films. Even the films that aren't that great are still interesting in their own way. Like, you can kind of see where they thought that this could have been an idea, a good idea. So it's it's cool to hear that a company that takes chances, uh, mm-hmm. that takes good chances, are getting a little bit of recognition. Even though there have been other companies that that have done the same thing beforehand, in part, the reason why that they're getting so much recognition is because a lot of their movies are popular and are being recognized for their star power and, you know, the talent in the films or working on the film. So, sure, um, yeah, it's cool. And I think the key, though, was definitely the line here. Let me see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, right here. While the Hollywood majors have abandoned the mature, mid-budget space in favor of megabuck spectacle over the past five years, A24 has set about filling the vacuum. And I think that is really the key. It's um, this is the specific space, and I know that we have said this before, and it's just really interesting that we're seeing one studio kind of capitalizing on it, much, again, much like Miramax's M4, somewhat, uh, to some extent, like you said, Focus uh, did that as well. But they have found the niche that, that needs to be filled in the, the perfect space to experiment with with the theater going public for sure because obviously we've got the amazons now we've got the netflixes we have the the even google getting involved with youtube red and things of that nature so um that space for the theater going public need needed to be filled and for whatever reason the studios uh, the the major studios weren't willing to do it and here comes a24 really on the whole picking great projects and stuff so I, I I think it could have been anybody and I and I don't and that's not to say that A twenty four has to be the only one. I think as it maintains its current level of prestige and and continues to build on that, uh I think it I think it runs the risk of turning into a wine scene company and or Miramax where now they're bigger and bigger and bigger and it's harder and harder to pick the winners because people are expecting more and more and more. So I I do wish them continued success, but at the same time, I, I kind of hope that someone comes along to compete with them a little bit because then that does nothing but give us even more great movies to watch. So that's where I'm at, man. Yeah, no, I think so too. But don't you think Amazon Studios, would mm-hmm. you consider Amazon Studios a studio, not like one of these smaller studios, but like like a a, a, a blossoming major studio, I guess, or Netflix? I think both of those, in terms of streaming, I would say yes, hands down. You know, they're their own versions of the major studios in their right. In terms of theater. I would say Amazon might be a little bit ahead of Netflix, but even Amazon's kind of on the bubble. I don't think they're quite there yet, um, but I, I, obviously, as you have noted, their willingness to play the theater game, as it were, um, 
has definitely pushed them up the, you know, bumped them up the list a little bit ahead of Netflix in that regard. But I don't quite think they're they're at that caliber yet. Um, they they don't have that large of a catalog that's worth going into. Um, now, of course, Manchester by the Sea, we we definitely covered that, but they don't have a slew of those yet. Uh, Netflix, outside of the documentary sphere, doesn't have hardly anything. We, I mean, that's what made us so surprised last week. You know, we're like, oh gosh, there's here's one. You know, with uh, with with uh, Mudfound and uh, Mudbound, and then you even mentioned the other film, the the Meiskowitz stories or whatever. And it's like we're just blown away. Wow, now there's two. So I think A twenty four has got the track record at this point, but that doesn't mean. Netflix and Amazon couldn't join them. I just don't think they're quite there yet. And where they are good is in a different sphere. Right. And again, like with uh, the Meyerowitz stories, Netflix distributed that movie. I think it's different when Netflix decide they want to make movie or when, when they make their movies. I mean, take a look at The Ridiculous Six and all that and Sandler's Netflix movies. Sure. The movies that they distribute of... are actually inspired, you know, movies. Right. In defense of what you're saying about Netflix, a lot of the movies that A24 has done, uh, have done, uh, or blah, blah, a lot of the movies that they have done are also distributor mm-hmm. for in, in the A24 realm. And they've just now gotten into the, you know, heavier, heavier production side of it as well as distribution. But, uh, cool. Well, that's all I have for news, sir. What do you got? All right, so my only piece of news here is via IndieWire.com. How do film critics decide which films are worth covering in the age of Netflix? IndieWire Critics Survey. This here is written by David Elrich. It says this. This week's question. Dee Reese's Mudbound is now streaming on Netflix in addition to playing in a few theaters, and the Oscar tip Sundance favorite is as high-profile a film as the streaming giant has ever premiered. It's another landmark moment in the ongoing shift towards novel distribution patterns. Once upon a time, it was easy enough to divide things into theatrical releases and films that went straight to video, but now there's at least, at least 50 shades of gray. As a result of this sea change, a number of major films are inevitably falling through the cracks. For example, Stephen Cohn's Princess Sid recently enjoyed a theatrical run at New York's Museum of the Moving Image, but that apparently wasn't enough to earn the film a review in the New York Times. In this amorphous distribution climate, how should film critics decide which films are worth covering? In first up here, Joshua Rothkopt from Time Out New York says this, You just said Princess Sid, and I said what? That's not a major film, brother. I don't think any publication is fully comprehensive anymore, not even variety. As recently as a few years ago, a workable coverage policy could be summarized as anything a non-film geek might have heard of, plus anything they should have heard of, i.e. the good stuff. Today, though with 20-plus movies releasing in New York City a week, that's simply impossible, especially for a print section like Time Out. Curation is required. The streaming question doesn't have to be so complicated. Try this. If something is not getting a theatrical release, it's not a movie. It's television. And there is an award for that. An Emmy. Even if a movie gets a one-week theatrical release, it may be a half-hearted ruse simply to qualify for reviews and film awards. I don't play that game. 
Mudbound expanded its theatrical options beyond the bare minimum because that campaign didn't want its title to be perceived as TV and rejected. That's good pressure for us editors to bring to bear. I would further this and say that among all the movies that have secured one-week releases, a responsible editor will pick and choose in order to create a balanced package of coverage for the reader, employing the concept of significance, which can accommodate everything from Justice League to Joan Didion, the center will not hold, is a much better metric to engage with than a compulsory you-must-cover-it. Significant to who? To the reader and to me, that's the call an editor should be making. The article does go on from there. Other people have uh, have commented and contributed to this piece. For example, Candace Frederick from Birth Movies Death had this to say, uh, I think that a Netflix distribution makes a film even more accessible to audiences as the streaming platform has brought movies. But that may have not seen as much of a turnout at the box office, in part due to a lack of marketing or small distribution. Plus, people underestimate how ubiquitous the platform is. We've gotten to the point where it seems like more people have Netflix than those who don't. In addition, some people first watch first on Netflix. Then, if they really like it and feel so inclined, they go to the theater to experience them on the big screen. That should be taken into consideration as critics think about what they should be covering. Particularly, in the case of Mudbound, it has a staggered theatrical release, which means many audiences who live outside the selected markets do not have the opportunity to see it, at least right away. That said, the simultaneous Netflix release makes up for those people who live miles away from a participating theater, making it a wider release that is every bit as deserving as a review as a traditional wide-release drama. That should incite critics to cover it as their audience would have likely heard of it. But even if a film strictly has an online release, if it's worth discussing, why not tell your audience about it? Chances are, many subscribe to that platform and a review can bring it to their attention. We do it with streaming series like Stranger Things and Orange is the New Black. Why not do it with films as well? And again, the article goes on from there. Matt, what what do you think about all this? I kind of disagree with what Candace Frederick from Birth Movies Death had to say that uh, the casual person or something like that already closed out of it would rather watch a movie. And if they like it, they'll then pay money and go see it at the movie theater. I don't think that. I think it would be the other way around. Like if you're trying to draw somebody into something more obscure that maybe that they didn't know was on Netflix, but they went and saw it and they loved it and they realized, oh shit, it's streaming at the same time. I'll watch it again. I don't really see it it working the other way around. I don't know if you have a response to that in particular, but also how do you think uh, critics should cover movies? Well, the first guy, uh, the first person you were quoting where he was basically, he, he, it's not, I believe it was a he. It sounded like uh, it was just being basically pretty elitist about the whole thing. Yeah, Josh Rothkopf. Yeah, there you go. And I completely disagree with him on that. It, I, I think that um, the one-week thing that they're trying to do just to get something for award season is important. It's important for two reasons. One, uh, it helps... It helps them qualify so people will go and watch Netflix so they can go and find all the other stuff that would never qualify for movie, uh, for the awards. Um, but 
that's still the gate. If it, I mean, at the end of the day, that's still the gate. If it comes into the theater, then I guess, and it can qualify for awards, then fine. If you want to call that the real movie, then you can call that the real movie. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that there is very quickly becoming a plethora of film that is of the same caliber that can be accessed without going to the theater. And, um, I think that it's still worthy of being reviewed. Now, whether or not you want to put it in the same tier list as something that you're going to go to the movies and see, well, that's that's something that's open. I think should be open for debate. But the fact that you're just going to, nope, it's not really a movie. It's a made-for-TV movie. It's not. We don't even have TV in the same form or fashion as we had when made for TV was the actual thing. Um, movie going, the theater experience is not what it used to be when made for TV was the idea. That's why we made it for TV or this was a direct to video deal because it just wasn't going to make any money at the theater. And people who hold on to these hard and fast rules of unless it comes out in a theater, it's not a real movie. You're literally living in the past and you're part of the fucking problem. Now, I do agree that with the second, with, with the second commenter, uh, I, I, I agree with you, sir. No, if you, I, I don't see that if I liked a movie on Netflix, um, it would be, it would be the utmost exception. To then go and say, wow, I've just watched this movie for free and can continue to do so, but no, I'm going to go spend 12 bucks on it. Um, I, I don't buy that. Uh, it would be, it would have to be some kind of epic movie that you just know going in would be like this completely different experience if you went and saw it in the theater. Um, and that's not going to be the case for 99.9% .9 of movies. Um, that being said, the movies, again, if you're just gonna, if you're just playing by, if you're just playing the game so that you can get it nominated, that's okay too. And that just builds prestige so that more people will continue to want to see your product, which would be in Netflix, Netflix's example or Amazon's example to go and pay for a year of their product. And that's, that's pretty much where I stand on it, man. And that's my news. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the news and leads us into the movies. Are you ready, sir? Yeah. Let's do it, folks. It's the movies. <laughs> Yes, this week we have 2017's The Beguiled. We ask for your protection over our school and we pray that we will be kept from harm throughout the night. Amen. Miss Martha! Miss Martha! Is he dead? No. Get him inside. Quick! You're our most unwelcome visitor, and we do not propose to entertain you. You'll find them easily amused. You won't be here long enough for that. How did you end up in this place? Why are you so interested in me? 
I admire your strength. I'm just trying to give them what they need to survive in these times. If you could have anything in the world, what would it be? To be taken far away from here. Come with me. He seems to be a sensitive person. Does he? Nina? It seems the enemy is not what we believe. I hope you like apple pie. Is that my recipe? It is. I need rags. I need chloroform. Go to the smokehouse. Get the saw. Now. Bring me the anatomy book. Did I get you anything? Give me the key. You know I'd get in trouble for that. That's right, 2017 American drama film written and directed by Sofia Coppola, based on the novel of the same name, uh, which actually had an original publication as A Painted Devil by Thomas P. Cullinan. It stars Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, and Elle Fanning. Um, And there was also an additional film of the same name released back in 1971, if you are so inclined to check it out. Uh, basically, what we have here is a woman by the name of Martha Farnsworth, played by Nicole Kidman, who runs a girls' school during the Civil War. Uh, she's, you know, the, the, the school has fallen on hard times. They've had to sell all the slaves, boo-hoo. Uh, most of all the staff, there's really only like five girls left, and they come across a wounded Union soldier. and they decide to nurse him back to health and uh, of course you've got hormones raging amongst all these little teenage girls and their two school marm uh people and this one you know hot union soldier and of course shenanigans ensue and what's to become of the young union officer and those shenanigans aren't really that entertaining. <laughs> um, okay, I I get that this is definitely a movie not designed, uh, for the most part, for your typical dude, for your for your you know general guy audience. That being said, uh, and Sofia Coppola has definitely gotten uh, a lot of really good work done behind the camera and. The thing is, is that I think that the decisions made in terms of the way the film is made are good. And I think that the acting in and of itself by uh, Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, etc. are decent to to good, um, even bordering on well done, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, The subject matter and the plot... Uh, it just hasn't aged well, and it's not—it's not something that's really, truly executable. Um, and instead of it being grown up, it's just so completely adolescent at best. It's not a good movie. It's just—it's stupid. It's so fucking stupid, and I. I did not like this movie. I wanted to put it in the one-star territory, like I just utterly hated the movie. But 
The problem is, is that there are technically good things about the film in terms of lighting and shot selection and framing and stuff like that. And again, the acting in and of itself isn't terrible. It's just the story is bad. And I, so I can't hate the movie for that, but it's just not good. And it's not like I could see angsty teen girls, you know, thinking that they're watching a period drama and they might get into it. But other than that, there, I, I see no use for it whatsoever. Two stars. It has occurred to me that we might reflect on the unexpected presence of Corporal McBurney in the house. Until his leg heals, of course. And we might discuss how we may practice compassion and what else we might learn from his presence here. What does each of you think of this? Miss Alicia, can you tell us what you think we may learn from his presence here? Um, maybe the sight of him will remind us there's something else in the world besides lessons. Oh, it seems to me that is all there should be for any young lady your age. It's just not good. I did not like this movie. I did not. I did not like it. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Oh, hi, Corporal John. So, you know, maybe we can do it that way. That's Colin Farrell's character's name, in case you didn't know that. I was enjoying this movie because I liked the setting, the tone. I liked how the movie felt. So I liked the movie until I realized, shit, this movie's been on for an hour. It's an hour and a half. And it's not like building to where I was expecting it to build towards. I don't like it when people say, oh, I watched the trailer and the movie I saw was nothing like the trailer I watched. I don't want to say that I'm necessarily going to do that right now, but when you watch the trailer, you never get the idea that it's going to be a tense thriller. You kind of do, but I would hope people know better that it's a Sofia Coppola movie you can't expect that, and it's more of an art housey type of film. Even with that in mind, going into the movie, I kept waiting for the next thing to happen. I don't know if it's really worth going into spoilers, but when characters decide to make specific decisions, say Colin Farrell, you get this idea that he is a lustful guy. You know, that he, he just likes to screw women. I mean... After doing research, I later find out that he was trying to con his way out of the situation by trying to infiltrate the minds of these impressionable women. He does that, but you never get the sense of, like, he's actively trying to do this so he doesn't get—well, actually, you do. Hang on. So he is trying to con his way, and initially it comes across, you know, that's what he was wanting to do. Like, that's his way of keeping himself alive, because he doesn't want to not only die, because he's in the care of these women, he's very comfortable, they're keeping him comfortable, but he doesn't want them to turn them over to the troops, he doesn't want the, the ladies to turn him over to the Confederate soldiers, but also there's a possibility that he could be the man of the house and surround himself with these women. And again, you, you get the sense of that at the beginning, but it really doesn't go anywhere. In fact, I start kind of feeling bad for the guy because I was led on to believe that maybe 
that's what we were originally supposed to think. But then we're supposed to turn on the women because they really didn't think things through. They're very skittish. They're really uptight. Even after they're forced to cut off his leg, they don't understand that he's pissed off. He's angry. And he's not really calming down. But then eventually he does calm down. And unfortunately, when he does decide to calm down, the women have already made the decision to carry out the plans that they had for the corporal. And it just really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I really just didn't understand the motivations behind all these people. Like, it just didn't make Like, I understood the base motivations, but I didn't see how it all connect with one another and connect with the story as a whole. And you really need that to get behind these decisions that are being made or to be okay with these decisions. Not necessarily to be okay, but to have some kind of reaction to it. Again, it's hard not to really completely spoil the movie, but you already have an idea what direction this movie is going towards because the trailer does spoil that for you. Just unfortunately, all that buildup, all that those tense moments don't come into play. I mean, really, the only tense moment was a surprise where there's a scene when the women are, are, are scared, and one of the things that they would do to show that they have a captive Union soldier, they would hang a blue rag on the gate. So when the Confederate soldiers saw that, they would come and apprehend the Union soldier. So when Colin Farrell's freaking out about his leg, this little girl is told to quickly go without the corporal seeing her, go hang the blue rag on the gate. As she is doing this, when the corporal at this time is in a different room, she's walking outside, all of a sudden, mind you, he's in crutches, he randomly appears. Just to create that moment of, oh shit, oh shit, he's right there. And that's really the only jolt, is that forced moment. And then from then on out, when he starts getting belligerent, going mad or whatever, just really pissed off, you just can't help but to wonder... Why haven't these women at least attempted to just push him over? He has to use both hands to use the crutches, and he has to stop to pull out his gun. Any of these girls could have, any of these women could have hid behind a door when he walked through, jumped out, and knocked him out. They could have done any of this stuff. It just didn't really make sense, because these women ultimately didn't come across as hopeless, if in fact that's what they were supposed to be. So there were a lot of little issues, especially with Kirsten Dunst's character and Elle Fanning's character. One of them's very sexually charged. There's really no other repercussions. Nothing ever really happens with that. No emotional distraught or no emotional toll in really any way. But I mean, I liked it up until I didn't. So I think I'm going to stick with 2.75 out of 5. All right, all right. Well, there you go. And uh, let's see here. So I guess next week's movies are going to be The Disaster Artist and The Man Who Invented Christmas. We're also going to do a special bonus segment next week for a copycat throwdown of Coco, which actually came out over Thanksgiving. So if you haven't seen it yet, you probably could still get in there to check that out versus the book of life which came out in 2014 and a lot of people are saying that coco was actually shelved so it would not be seen as a as a copycat of the book of life um so we're gonna check that out as well and without further ado i guess we are now down to the spiel are we not sir spiel on oh stewardess 
I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama didn't raise no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Chomp the one to help, chomp don't get the help. Say can't hang, say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in here. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can also follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Nicole Kidman, I get to say this. People can tell you what to do, but ultimately we're all going to die. So how do you want to live? Take care, cinephiles. We'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.